Back Fence PDX Radio receives love from St. Cupcake. Their creations are made from scratch with their hands and their hearts. Everything is baked the day it's shipped. SaintCupcake.com. I'm B. Frayne Masters. This is Back Fence PDX Radio. Our next story comes from Amber Joe. Amber tells of what happens when, quite by accident, she discovers and awakens a dormant natural talent. The theme for the night? That's a mouthful. And Amber tells it like it is. She doesn't hold back. So sensitive listeners, be warned. Thank you. It, it's true. I, I am a uh, competitive And um, knowing this, my coworker, Josh, asked me if I wanted to join one of those... Um, poker games for charity where you pay like 70 bucks and half the money goes to the charity for his baseball team. And uh, I had never played poker before, but um, I was inspired because I spent all of Thanksgiving watching Chris Moneymaker win the World Series of Poker. So I agreed to play. And uh, to myself, I agreed to win. So I went to Pal's Books, and I, I went to the section, that old section on poker books, and I got a book by Phil Hellmuth. He's won millions of dollars playing poker, and I took it to the cafeteria so I could read it for free, and um, <laughs> stayed there for a couple of hours past my lunch break, taking notes on how to play poker. And I uh, went to this uh, poker tournament the next day. There was a... Uh, 70 players, I was one of two women, and uh, I won the poker tournament. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Feed that addiction, that's good, okay. So uh, I won $1,500. Um, so I had a, a master's degree in social work and uh, about $80,000 in loans and worked for a nonprofit. So after an eight hour work day, I was bringing home about 100 bucks. Um, after reading this book by Phil Hellmuth and following the rules closely, after like eight to ten hours of poker, free beer, and pizza, I brought home $1,500. So um, I was pretty much determined. Um, poker, many people will tell you this, poker is not actually gambling. It is a game of statistics, of mathematics, and of pure genius. <laughs> and <clears throat> I uh, agreed with that, and so off I went. Um, to win $1,500 every weekend. So the next weekend, I played in a poker tournament. Uh, I, d I played by the rules. I went pretty far into the tournament. I didn't win, but I, I did well, left. Uh, the next weekend, played another tournament. And uh, I was at the final table, gonna win. I had a, what in layman's terms is called a full house, but what poker players call a boat. That's where I had three kings and two aces. And there's like $600 in chips uh, representing money in the pot. So it comes to me, I bet $200 in chips. Everybody folds, except for this one dude who uh, chapter nine in Felhomi's book, he did what's called, he overbet the pot. So like, say there's like 500 in the pot, I'm a poker player and a storyteller, so it's probably like 200, but there's a big pot. <laughs> and um, 
he overbet the pot, so it's like he bet like $1,000. So even though I had a really good hand and I knew I could win, according to Chapter 9, I'm supposed to fold because I shouldn't bet an extra $1,000 to win 700 didn't make sense. So um, I, according to statistics, I folded my hand down, and he folded his hand face up. And he had kind of what's known in the poker world as a you. He had a 7-2 offsuit. And, yeah, the person who just said, oh, you got it. It was like I'd had three dates with a super hot woman, and, and she left me for, like, a shorter, balding lesbian with no car. <laughs> I was devastated. De devastated. I, I wanted to spit some beech nut in that dude's eyes. And so, but like a competitive scorned lover, I invested money, and I went to Powell's books and I bought some books on poker theory and um, I read more and I talked to some poker players and and then I learned um, Phil Helmuth's book isn't about how to beat Phil Helmuth at poker, it's how to play Phil Helmuth at poker. Um, what I needed to learn was how to beat Phil Helmuth type people at poker because when you're playing these big tournaments it's like applying to Harvard, everybody, got, everybody has A's, everyone scores high on the ACT. What did I have in me that was special? And um, <clears throat> that's when I dug deep in myself. And uh, there's a term in psychology called sublimation. That's where you substitute an antisocial behavior uh, for a pro-social behavior. Now, I'm from Kentucky. And I'm not from that part of Kentucky where people uh, raise and race horses and drink mint juleps. I'm from the uh, part of Kentucky where your mom's fist fight in the front yard and the losing mom ends up in the ditch. <laughs> and how I survived Kentucky uh, was by bullying, uh, intimidating, uh, and, and lying. And so I supplemented um, those traits that, uh, you know, kept my strawberry shortcake overalls full of stolen candy and kept me from getting molested from all the men on the block. I used those skills at the poker table. Um, supplemented those skills for the new pro-social skills of bullying, lying, and intimidating. <laughs> poker table. And uh, to much success. So the game of poker, which was not a game of gambling, it was all about winning money, now became just this game of like working some shit out. <laughs> and uh, it felt good because if you're a woman at a poker table, you're nothing, and uh, it, it's really a very sexist game. And, and those chips are stacked tall for a reason. And <laughs> that's another thing I had on the men was I'm butch, so I just would mercilessly flirt with them and just, and, and that made me really popular in poker, <laughs> acting that way. The, and, uh, so I started playing poker a lot, and there's, all, there's, there's this thing called Portland Poker Series. I might have changed the name to protect the innocent. Um, but bars host these free poker nights, and you play for, like, dinner if you win. I did well in those, and um, after a while, there were some regulars who were really in on the action, and we started playing illegal poker games at night. Now I'm in the underbelly world of Portland Poker and we actually got our own uh, place at the, in the upstairs of the Viper Room, this bar 
on Hawthorne, not the borrower in LA. Um, so we had, we had our own room up there, leather seats, felted tables, and um, we began to play. And that's where I got another really awesome thing from, from poker uh, was the friendships that I had there. Um, we were all such good friends. Uh, just a little bit of time that I played there, a little over a year, just about every one of my buddies uh, went through a divorce. And, you know, we were all there for him. And we understood, you know, uh, when Andy, uh, the judge ordered that Andy couldn't see his kids because he'd bounced his child support check too many times. And uh, we're, we're all, we'd give Joe a ride home, you know, because his car was repossessed for lack of payment. And uh, when my buddy uh, Drew had a heart attack at the age of 30 from snorting too much coke, we welcomed him back with his double shot of Jaeger and a Red Bull chaser. We were buddies. <laughs> we were good friends. And I love hanging out with dudes because you do not have to emotionally caretake them. <laughs> and the more you emotionally abuse them, the better you are. And we were, it was awesome. And uh, so, you know, they're regulars. But the fun thing for regulars is, you know, there's always a newbie who comes in. And there's certain types of newbies. There's the trust fund newbie with like a wad of cash and then an ATM card that just never says no. My, my favorite newbies are like the older, uh, distinguished-looking uh, businessmen who are going through a divorce, and it's illegal to withdraw from your 401k during that process, and they would. Lots of money to be had there. And then I always kind of shied away from the wide-eyed bipolar on a manic spending spree, but they showed up once a month. Uh, this one particular night, though, uh, this kid came, and... Um, he couldn't have been old enough to drink, I don't think, but uh, he had a wad of cash, and um, we were playing. And one thing always happened with the newbies is that they left broke. And uh, we played late into the night. Bars are supposed to close at 2.30. Um, and, but the waitress, we had her in private waitress. She was pretty nice. So, like, she'd let us, she'd serve us drinks and would play till like, 4.30 because she was, like, eight months pregnant. So, like, after 10 hours on her feet, she wanted to go home. So I'd stay there playing until like 4.30 in the morning. And, but this newbie was like, buck, you know, like a bunk, bucking bronco. Yeah. And uh, he still had money. So uh, on special occasions, we would offer up, you know, someone would be like, oh, party's at my house. So this night, Drew was like, Let's, party's at my house. It's like seven of us, you know, getting cars. And uh, just the drive from... Hawthorne to Interstate was uh, too slow for us because we were all so into the action. So by the time we got to uh, Drew's, what in a normal person's house would be a live, uh, dining room, and his house was just this huge professional felted poker table. Um, the seven of us, we we don't have time. We can't. We want to. We want to gamble. We want to play. Um, so we, you, you just. Uh, we played this game that we call high card that anybody in this room would call ridiculous. And that's where you just throw a deck of cards down on the table and we all throw down a $100 bill and pick up a card and whoever has the highest card wins $700. And um, yeah, <laughs> we're balling, throwing money around. And uh, we do that until... People were out of money, you know, going down to 50s, 20s. And uh, there was three of us left standing. Uh, Drew, the bunking bronco kid, 
And then me, I had $260 left. I started the night off, the night off with $1,400 paycheck. And uh, I, what stopped me was I had, my partner just uh, kicked me out of the house for some reason. I don't even know, I never did figure that out. <laughs> but, and my friend was letting me stay at her house and owed her $300 rent and I'm down the 260 now. And I, I just, I can't, I, I was done. I, I couldn't do anymore. So the three of us that had money, we went over to eat breakfast uh, across the street. And, um, but that action, the uh, was still there. And on my way to pee, I lost 20 bucks in the crack lottery machines because I was hoping for a straight flush. Uh, I get back to the table and there's action right there. The kid and Drew are arguing. The kid's like, no, I swear, if you eat a tablespoon of cinnamon, you will die. It will kill you. Drew's like, no, I think so. The kid's like, I bet you every dollar in your pocket. Drew's like, puts $700 on the table. Kid matches him. And then, like, true classy Vegas style, the waitress comes over. Drew hands her $20, politely asks for some cinnamon, says we have a bet to settle. She brings us over some cinnamon. Drew has a tablespoon of cinnamon up to his mouth, and the kid's like, no, I'm telling you, it'll kill you. The, the powder gets stuck in your throat. The Heimlich maneuver is not enough pressure to get it out. You will die. I'm like, Drew, this, he is a kid. You and I are smart. Cinnamon would be childproof. There would be, like, mothers on, on Oprah crying because their child died from the cinnamon. Eat the cinnamon, Drew. Eat it. And I, yeah, I know. Anybody, so I don't know what happened, though. I don't know if Drew knew something about this kid that I didn't know. He didn't want his money. I don't know if he saw me that was just like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. But he just, and, and Drew, was, Drew was the man, and he called all the shots. So he didn't lose his money. He just called the bet off. He was like, not going to do it. I mean, granted, he had had a heart attack from coke few months earlier. <laughs> Not going to do it. Puts his money back in his pocket. I'm like, 240 on the table. That's $480. That's 300 for rent. That's $180. I can eat lunch that day. I can play poker that night to win money for my car payment. $400. I'm, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to die trying. <laughs> so the kid's arguing with Drew. No, she can't take the bet. And Drew's like, she's taking the bet. So while they're arguing, uh, I'm playing, I'm playing, uh, I'm sublimating, because there have been no rules set other than I will die. So while they're arguing, I take a sip of coffee, enough of a sip that um, when I open my mouth to put the cinnamon in, it's not going to dribble out. I'm not going to look like I did that. So um, Drew announces I can do it. Money's on the table. I take the cinnamon, put it in my mouth, and uh, the cinnamon quickly became like a grown man ski wool sock in my mouth. And I am not, I would not try this at home. I wouldn't. I would, I, I, not for less than $240. Because it, it might kill you, and the thing that might have saved my life is that little bit of coffee because every bit of moisture in the atmosphere of my body was gone 
when the cinnamon was in my mouth. And the only thing that saved me was I had this teeny tiny ball of like wet sand in my mouth. So, um, and, and what happened to me is kind of what's known as shock, like my memory of getting the cinnamon down. Because the kid's like flailing his arms. Something to call an ambulance. I'm like, and, and I am totally calm. I'm like, I'm underwater. There's no rules. There's no time. I can take all the time in the world to do this. And I just keep swallowing minute by minute. And the waitress serves my Denver omelet. Drew gets his biscuits and gravy. Kid gets his triple stack of strawberry stuffed cream cheese French toast. He gets a big tall glass of orange juice. Our waters are refilled. Um, my mouth is dry talking about it. I'm eating the cinnamon and uh, working it down. And then I did it. Uh, I turned to Drew. I opened my mouth. He announces me the winner. I put the $480 in my pocket. I sip, I take the kid's orange juice because I am the man at the table. I drink the orange juice and then the kid, uh, he didn't care. He pats me on the back because after all, we were, we were friends, we are buddies. Wow. I didn't know about that cinnamon thing until this story. Crazy. Amber Joe, she lives in Portland. You're listening to Backfence PDX Radio, where we bring stories from our live show in Portland to you on the radio, like this one. After about a month, he had drawn a line down the middle of our dorm room out of masking tape which initially just went down the floor, but as time went on, he, he felt the need to go up the wall. If you missed the episode with John Roderick's story, you can download it, yes, in podcast form, on our website, backfencepdx.com. You can also check out our live show schedule and learn more about our storytellers. While you're at it, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at BackfencePDX. And please like us on Facebook. head to South Dakota with a story from a guy who thought he was going to Alaska. And uh, for this I had to um, walk through the park for hours in a full hazmat suit, um, spraying herbicide everywhere. And uh, um, it was like 95 degrees out and I'm, I'm dressed like the guy in Close Encounters that takes the dead pigeons out of Richard Dreyfuss's car. Um, the only good part was when tourists would see me because I'd start waving my arms and yelling something about radiation and, and, and they'd, they'd jump in their cars and drive off. This is Backfence PDX Radio. Be right back. <laughs> 